the neighbors can have a big impact on your property. Even though it's not on your property at all, we've had plenty of circumstances where we're looking at a property, it looks great, but there's a junkyard on one side of it. Or there's this neighbor on one side of it that's got like 50 cars in their, in their yard. Welcome to Turning Profit, a podcast for people that love real estate. Learn the business models and skills that professional real estate investors use to make money and build wealth. Visit turningprofit.com for a wealth of investor resources. And now, here are your hosts, Pete and Heather Reese. Welcome to the Turning Profit Podcast. Heather, it's so great to be here once again. I know, I'm excited to talk about today. What is it about? By this, I'm not that. I like it. Yeah. So what's that mean? Well, uh, we're going to be talking about what makes a quality property and what makes a crappy property. An undesirable property. Undesirable. Maybe that's a better way to say it. But you know that buy this, not that. Remember those books? Eat, Eat this, this, not, not that. that. Yeah. Yeah. That I remember funny. we had that in our bookshelf for a while. Never really uh, read it, though. I don't even know where it came from. It was probably one of those things I was like, oh, that's interesting. But the funny thing is it was like prepackaged stuff. It was like, eat this prepackaged thing as opposed to this prepackaged thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was the 2000s. Eat this turkey burger mm-hmm. instead of the Big Mac. Right. I think that's, yeah, it was stuff like that. Okay. Well, that's that's cool. So, okay. Along that same premise, we're going to do like, buy yes. this, not that. Yeah. So the whole goal is to kind of outline what are characteristics of quality properties and what are characteristics of properties that you don't want to buy. Mm-hmm. And the reason that we're going into this is because really, really, it's, it's really crucial in our success in land flipping, because over time, you'll notice that the good properties, the quality properties, they sell. Mm-hmm. You have no problem selling those properties. It's less about the price or anything like that. Like quality properties will bring out the buyers. Now, if they are properties that have issues, they're crappy properties, mm-hmm. you're always going to struggle, even if you really reduce those properties. And, and I think it comes down to you're like, yeah, but I can get this for so cheap. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times you're like, oh, I can get, th- yeah, it has all these issues, but I can get it so cheap. I should still be able to sell it. And it's right. like, yeah, you probably still can sell it like five years from now, mm-hmm. you know, and then holding costs, like what are, what's that, you know? So right. we're going to get into the, the nitty gritty about what makes a property valuable. And I noticed that as per the usual, you made me a cheat sheet here. Cheat so. sheet, yes. Okay, cool. Okay, we'll start with, um, I normally talk about- Yeah, did you, you want to talk about any current events today? No, I'm over the current events. Okay. They're the same thing every week. Okay. The housing market's dying. It's crashing. We're all doomed. Commercial, oh, is hellscape. Okay. And um, there's no coming out of it. Okay. All right, I this think, sounds great. Yeah, I mean, this makes you happy, right? I think that it's just like the same. I'm like, come on, isn't there any actual news? I could dig up stuff, but I intentionally just do a really like light. Like I only talk about the stuff that I can find like a casual reader would find because that's what everyone's going to be influenced by. Mm-hmm. And so normally if there's something big, at least it would be like, oh, okay, discussion points. No, there's none. I did come across it said that there was like a part of Chicago that is experiencing an upswing. Okay. Okay. So, but like, that doesn't really mean anything to me because I don't live there. I don't buy there. I don't buy there, right? Uh, no. Okay. So we don't have anything in Illinois right okay. now. Okay. Um, but it just, it was a good reminder that a lot of this is that it's still local. Mm-hmm. I mean, normally it's like, you know, like if something is happening to the whole country, it'll hit everything at some level, but it might not be nearly right as dramatic. Yeah, it's, it's really evident to me in some markets that we're dealing in, some are really really hot right now and some are cooling off a bit mm-hmm. and then you hear stories about people and their markets are having a lot of challenges right now we're not in many of those markets thankfully so it's all local 
You know, some areas are doing great, some areas not so much. Even in the great, what do they call it? The great uh, housing crash of 2008, mm-hmm. um, there were markets that did fine during that time period. Right. You know, the Great Recession. Th- yeah. The, the majority of them did poorly, mm-hmm. but but there were markets that did came out of that with no issues at all. Right. So it's important to to really think about real estate locally and don't get caught up in this kind of aggregate thing mm-hmm. because each area is a little bit different. You also touched on something else in the sense that, you know, even though we our niche is land, it's spread out over different areas. So that's probably protective too. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's not a bad idea. I mean, you still need to know those different markets. So it's not like you should just go into it, but maybe when you start one, okay, this is good, then get into another one and that might add some extra security. Yeah. And and the more the more transactions we do, the more information that we have. You know, mm-hmm. if we realize that some markets are really hard to sell in right now or the declining or something like that, then either we're going to hold out for a much cheaper price or maybe we'll avoid those markets altogether. The business model is really interesting because we can buy properties wherever. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Right. It's land. Right. Land is land is land. And then something else that we kind of talking about. Well, there's two things. I want to talk about what we talked about on our walk, but also about how a lot of these things are, you know, this is going to turn around one way or another. It will. Mm-hmm. Five years, 10 years, two years, who knows? But it's good to be thinking forward. So let's say you find a really good deal on a piece of property and you're like, okay, the market's not great right now. If you can't hold on to it, like you could do planned purchases where you're not going to harvest your or reap the benefits for five years. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not how we do it. We move things quicker. Right. But we have a couple that are, are bigger ones that that's not, you know. Right. Least- yeah. We're not we're not, you know, forcing the sale, you know, in 60 days. Yeah. We're, we're holding them more as a longer term play. Right. Because by the time like a lot of if your end client is a big builder, they might be, you know, there's the smaller ones. And then there's the big corporate builders. The big corporate builders are buying now because the market in some areas is a little softer than it was before in anticipation, like, okay, we're going to have to get all these permits. We're going to, this process is going to take five years anyways. In five years, the market will be different. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not like there's two ways to play it. If you find a piece of property and you're like, I can hold on to this for a little while. Maybe you do. Like we talked about, I think last week, you do some of that stuff to advance it. You've got time. Mm -hmm. That's okay to do too. Right. Okay. And then we were talking about on our walk, someone asked like, what was your, what's the one thing you regretted over your real estate career. So the past 20 years or whatever, mm-hmm. what's one thing we regretted? And it surprised me that my answer was, I wish we had taken more risks because yeah. I'm a risk adverse person. I hate risk. Risk is scary, but you know, what's really scary is not taking risks and not getting any benefit. Right. No you know? risk, no reward. Right. And so there it's an, you know, you can look at it a couple of ways. Like I'm not saying like gamble risk, or if you can't afford groceries, that's that's not a risk you could, you know, I mean, or you have kids. And for us, that was the thing where our kids were little. Mm-hmm. And so I was more like, oh, I want it to be safer. But I wish we had taken more of those calculated bigger risks. Mm-hmm. I think that would have been what you've always wanted to do. So. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to clip this. And anytime you put up any sort of resistance to taking one of these risks, Just I'm going play to back. play it back for you. Like, Heather, keep it on remember your phone, you said this. A little sound bite. But I was thinking about it because for our daughters, you know, they have their land business too. And I said, you know, the one thing like you should, I want them to be taking more risks. I mean, they, they, they're not married. They don't right. have children. They have a safety net. All this right. stuff. The safety net is us. Exactly. I mean. <laughs> and they're smart enough that they're like, we're not moving out until we absolutely have, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because they're like, why would I? Right. You know, they can do whatever. So I think that's really like, they're thinking of a bigger picture, but they're also contribute maxing out retirement accounts because the whole theory is that if they do that, they can take even more risks. So it's mm-hmm. like, whatever makes you feel safe to do the risk. Maybe you have enough. I don't know. Like you wouldn't worry about a safety net. In your I mean, mind. yeah, I mean, I guess not. I mean, I, I'm not 
I'm You're not, not an a, overthinker like no, me. No, no, I'm not an overthinker. If I if I feel confident that something's a good deal or a good, you know, good mm-hmm. investment, I'll just go for it. Right. Or I want to at least go for it. And then I got to talk you into it sometimes. But <laughs> I feel confident, you know, when I've researched it and I just get that feel that it's going to be a good deal, then I go for it. Right. But I'm not, I'm not going to kind of play things till, till the last. <laughs> You're not, you yeah, know. leverage our houses or anything like that. Right. You know? Yeah. So it's, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that you get to a point where you get a little bit of a safety net kind of naturally, then you can be more and more aggressive and then you'll get better and better results generally as a result. So. I feel like you did something with my chair. I feel I'm shorter today. Yeah. I saw the legs and I was like, looking yes. up. that would be actually a really funny thing to do. Maybe I'll do that. I'm not going to give you any ideas. Or maybe okay. I'll sit on a telephone book. And that would be hilarious. Shorter. That's actually what I had to do. Like as a kid in the eighties, like it was Telephone books. But isn't that funny? Telephone books. When was the last time we got a telephone book? I have no idea, but I remember like the first time I realized what was happening was I went to dinner at a friend's house and they're, they're like, oh, that's your chair. And it had like two of the big telephone books on it. I get um, one of those like booster seats they give the kids in the restaurants. Oh, yeah. Oh, we totally had one at home. My sister's pretty, my sister's even shorter. So <laughs> you had one of those at home? Oh, yeah. Did you steal it from the restaurant? No, you could buy them. Because oh. I, I think they also, that's what you use for cars back then. Like they didn't have, Actual booster seats. Can you imagine? plastic ones? Yeah. plastic molded ones? Uh, Like, yeah, like brown or whatever, you know? Like, but can you imagine? Like those Bumbo ones? Yeah. Well, those at least had, like, safety features. Can you imagine you're in a car crash and you're in that? That becomes, like, it catapults. It, like, hits somebody ahead. You know what I mean? I guess it, I don't know. I do. See, I've sent you some of these ones, and I've shared a couple on my Instagram, too, about you know, kids in the eighties and how, you know, basically dangerous stuff that was going on. Right. And it's just, it's just funny, like ramps that we would make with, with wood. And mm-hmm. I mean, just all kinds of stuff that would not go over too well these days. No, but. I mean, but the crazy thing I was telling the kids that we would literally in the summer, you would get up, you'd have like some, you know, if you were lucky, you got the cereal, the chunky, uh, sugary cereal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you left and you came back on when the like the streetlights came out. Mm-hmm. There was none of this, like my parents had no idea where I was. Yeah. There was no cell phone. There was no GPS tracking you. No, yeah. we came home when we were hungry right? or we went to someone's house like in Kool-Aid. Oh my gosh. My mm-hmm. mom would never buy Kool-Aid. And I thought that was like the nectar of the gods. I was like, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It really is amazing. Good times until you're like paying for those choices as later in life. Right? Yes. Okay. So now that we've taken a little jaunt back to the 80s. But you know what? This is a good segue okay. to talk about our community that has that kind of theme. Go for it. Oh, okay. Yes. Well, Have our we community. Have talked about how we designed it? Not really. I don't think Why we really you... got into it. Well, our community is called Land Conquest. Mm-hmm. And Land Conquest is our land flipping community that will also house our land flipping training program, which is almost done, by the way. I'm not Made some along. major, major progress this weekend. So very close. A lot of the videos and everything are in editing. So we're kind of putting the final finishing touches on things. So you're harder on yourself about this than anyone else is. Like everyone's yeah. eager for it. I get it. Like, and I'm eager for it to be done too, but you're like really like on yourself about this. And I'm like, you're doing it really well. It's okay if it's, you know, taking longer than you wanted. Well, it pains me. I see comments and questions about it all the time. And I know people are super anxious for it. So it really, it really cuts to the core sometimes when it's taking me longer than I feel like it should. But anyhow, so yeah, so where were we? We're talking about land conquest and the, the theme of it or the, the kind of branding of mm-hmm. the land conquest name is kind of based off of like 80s video adventure games like uh-huh. Dragon's Quest or something like that. So we want to do something a lot different and we both grew up in the 80s, so we figured it might be a good 
It'd be fun. Something unique. Yeah, and it definitely has that retro vibe to it. And you'll see even more about that uh, once it's released. But you can at least get a taste for it if you want to see what it looks like. Join the community. Yeah, just go to landconquest.com. And then there's big orange buttons all over that site. And you just click that. Join the community. It's free. Just have to enter in a bunch of personal information, like your social security number, blood type, things mm-hmm. like that. Your mother's maiden name. No, nothing credit like card, that. Five credit just cards. your email and your name, I think, is all. <laughs> that That's really funny. That joke comes from when I used to work at a bank. And I would like have to open people's bank accounts, like for them, whatever. And I was, the branch manager called me in to do, to open an account into his office. And he was like, oh, these are my friends. I want to open an account. Okay, whatever. And, but I knew that it was his friend. So I was like, oh, sure. I can do it from my desk. No problem. And I wrote this whole thing, like random stuff on there thinking he would get the joke, but he actually had them fill it out. Blood type. I was like, man, you haven't opened an account in a long time. Have you? <laughs> but, uh, hey, um, I got to ask you a question mm-hmm. about that. When you were working at the bank, did you look at people's balances? I mean, Yeah. You, you mean so like, like nosy, if you were like, like I want, yeah, I wonder what, how much they have in their account. Did you do that type of thing? Not, no. I mean that this was like at the beginning when I first started working in banking, it wasn't completely online, but you know what? It was enough that I could log it. And so, although that wasn't outlawed until later, mm-hmm. like that was allowed and, and people would talk about it like, oh, this, a, a celebrity banks here. They like during the off time, people would type in different celebrities names to see if they worked there. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if this is real. I feel like Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, for some reason that I don't know if that's true because it's been like 20 something years, but that name pops up in there. But the joke was on them because most of these people had holding accounts that was just like, or like, um, not even holding account, a household account. Mm, yes. So my, my, Bigger favorite stories are when celebrities came in and most of them were super cool, but some of them I didn't know, especially sports ones. I won't name the name, but someone came in and like was so upset at me because I asked for their ID because I didn't know who they were. And, um, and then he came back. So I just added that it was a guy and he brought champagne to everybody and he just released a video game and gave everyone at the branch and he turned and he's like, except for you, because you didn't know who I was. And I was like, ooh, hurt me. I still don't really know who you are. It wasn't Tony Hawk, was it? No, okay. no. And I hear great things about Tony Yeah, Hawk. I can't imagine. And there was like, <laughs> there were other sports people that came in um, to the branch that were like local heroes. And they were like the nicest people. I remember one that was like the biggest name in baseball at the time. And I asked him for his ID. And he was like, oh, sure, absolutely. And gave me, gave, you know, gave me the ID, whatever, gave him the money. And then everyone started cracking up this oh this is when i was a teller trainer i then i went into financial services later but that's where i started and everyone like was cracking up like you don't have no idea who this person is do you and i was like no you've never been a huge sports fan no i had no idea but there were some that were so nice but yeah people did like look it up but i mean it was like their their household processing account so it didn't have much money Mm. but but as a teller that would have still been probably like tons of money Anyways, okay, so let's get into today's. Yes, let's get into this. Um, So what makes a quality property for our purposes? Like, what are we looking for? Okay, so there's a number of different things on the list. I'll just keep this, and if you don't get it right, I'll be like, you forgot this. Yeah, well, I need the list in order to (laughs) reference this because, you know, my brain is. Fried? um, Yes, sometimes it is fried. From the 90s or what? From Yeah, from the 90s. Anyhow, so what makes a quality property for our purposes? Mm-hmm. First thing we look at, well, I'm going to just list off these and then just we'll go into each one mm-hmm. in a little bit of detail. So access is a big one. Topography, mm-hmm. that's, you know, the topography is like the shape of the land kind mm-hmm. of. Landscape features, the wetlands, mm-hmm. if it has wetlands or not, if it has FEMA flood zone or not, that's right. another consideration. Hey everyone, just a quick reminder that you can join our community for free at landconquest.com. 
Inside, you'll get all the resources, training, and support for building a thriving land flipping business. Once again, that's landconquest.com. All right, enjoy the rest of the show. And then location is obviously a very big one. Location, 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 and land. That kind of uh, is a big determinant whether it's quality property or not. And then also, what's the surrounding neighborhood like? So any of those things are kind of a big deal, really. And, you know, the one of the things that I, you kind of get hung up on sometimes is you're looking for this perfect property. You're looking for something that checks all of those boxes. Everything is perfect, but is really, really rare. The best you can do is to get something with many of these uh, quality features and I guess not many of the negative features. So it's kind of like a like a blended process. Each piece of land, especially these rural properties, are going to have a combination of really good features and maybe a couple of features that you would you know be less desirable. But you just have to kind of take that that as a whole and kind of make a call whether it's a good property. Well, or not. I think when you say that, you mean that they might not be like it's not extreme. Like mm-hmm. if it's you know you talked about wetlands. If it's all wetlands, that you can't that's you can't get past that. Right. So it's talking about like minimal wetlands where, you know, right. maybe there's like a little bit of the corner of it, but there's still higher level that's completely dry. Exactly. You yeah. know? Yeah. That would be, a, that would be a really good example. Yeah. yeah. And by a surrounding neighborhood, like it would be great. I mean, the actual neighborhood itself is decent. It'd be great if it's right outside of another really hot neighborhood. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why Chicago keeps popping up because it's Pike is that one thing. You like those shows, Chicago PD, Chicago Med. That's probably why you're thinking about that, I right? I hate those shows. <laughs> I'm sorry if you love those shows. It's like, what, Thursday night or something? You'll put it on. I was like, oh, my. I like Chicago PD. I'm like, is it really Thursday night? Like, I just, I hate those shows. I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm sure they're great shows and the actors and actresses are amazing. And so I'm not trying to be mean to you, but I don't know what it is. I just can't. It's me. It's a me problem. Not a I had problem. to say that because I know how much you hate I know. Shows. Now I'm raging on the inside. That's fine. That's fine. Don't worry about it. But you know what I mean? Like, it's an outskirt community. Right. Where mm-hmm. it's out, you know, outside of it. Um. I was just like looking at some other, some communities and boy, people love the, and I do too. I love like, we live close adjacent to downtown San Diego, not completely, but like with, it's a 15, 20 minute drive to get down there. Normally Mm -hmm. it's California. So it could be five hours with traffic, but it's great to have all access to all that, like of a, of a big town, like a airport, a, I mean, just like a hospital system, all that kind of stuff. Right. But I don't want to live downtown. So it's like those communities outside of that are just hot. Mm-hmm. Like, I love that that kind of thing. But you, so surrounding community is two part. The actual community, like surrounding the land, the lot, and then also proximity to a right. greater area. And when you say you're not going to get all of them, you won't. But you you will. Because, I mean, all these things are kind of deal breakers. You say minimal FEMA flood zone. Mm-hmm. If right. it was a major <laughs> FEMA flood zone. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's go into each of these aspects one by one. Okay. And then I'll just kind of explain what's good and what's not so good and about those. So first thing we look at, you know, with these raw pieces of land that we're trying to decide if we want to buy them or not is access. Right. Because if there's no access, it's a deal break. Well, right. for the most part. Yeah. Right. So the best thing you can hope for with these rural properties is road frontage, mm-hmm. meaning the property actually is butts right up against to a public maintained road, you know, a paved road generally. And those are the best uh, situation. And the more frontage you have on those public roads, the better. So, you know, definitely that would be the ultimate top if you have like a huge amount of road frontage on a public road. Now, doesn't mean that if the property doesn't have that, it's, it's a bad property. It just means that 
it's maybe not the the kind of highest level of the access that we're looking for. You can also have variations of that. You could also have very narrow access on a public road, uh, you know, a couple hundred feet or something like that. Or you could have access on a uh, easement access, which is, you know, you'd have no public road frontage, but you have an actual easement to get back to your property. Which um, is like a legally deeded right. driveway per right. se. And we buy, we buy those properties too, but mm-hmm. I'd much rather have that property have road frontage. It's just not worth as much since it's an easement access as, a, as opposed to the, the road frontage. Also, sometimes you can have dirt road frontage and that's not as great as paved road frontage, but some of these rural roads are dirt roads and they may be county maintained dirt roads, but they are dirt roads and they're not as desirable as a paved road. Well, that just goes back to what's, what's the community standard. Mm-hmm. Like you're saying like here, dirt roads are few and far, like you rarely would see that. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if they'd let you build on a dirt road anymore. Yeah, probably not. Not at least right here, but out there, you know, we've driven across the country and that's just, that's common. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Complete dirt road. Yeah. So there's different levels, you know, so you've got the paved road mm-hmm. frontage, you've got easement access, you've got dirt road, you've got, uh, you know, sometimes you have a deeded easement that has actually sort of a paved access and maybe goes back to other properties along that. And that's that's not so bad either. And then kind of at the other end of the spectrum, which we these are properties that we never buy at this point, are landlocked properties. They're properties that have no road frontage. They have no deeded easement, no access of any sort. They're just kind of an island in between a bunch of other properties. And unless you do have a helicopter, you're not going to be doing too much with those properties. No. And then we talked before about there's some areas that you automatically get deeded rights to get onto your land. Mm-hmm. I don't right. know if that means like driving a car, though. Well, it depends. There's different you know. rules for different areas in each each area. Each state pretty much has their own rules when it comes to that stuff. Some states, you're kind of out of luck. Some states, they allow you to access it. You know, you have like the legal right to access your property, mm-hmm. but it only can be for agriculture or recreation or something like that, you, they won't let you build on the property unless you get obtain some sort of deeded access from somewhere. Right. So, so yeah. it's just not worth it for us because it's just another challenge because the, let's say there's 10 people that would absolutely love that property. And then you tell them that, and you got one left if you're lucky right? or it takes longer. And the whole thing is the the path to least resistance. Mm-hmm. So you want it to be, it occurred to me that we just had a property come through that we were going to buy that we got an email from the agent that we were using, right? Mm-hmm. It was like this morning right? saying, guys, I just don't think this is as good as we were hoping, you know, because they mm-hmm. want to check it out. So first of all, that goes into what a really good agent is. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the reasons he didn't like it is because the access was steep on it. You know, like the driveway access was steep. Oh, okay. So we, you know, it looked a little, it looked a little steep on the map. Sometimes you can't really tell by looking at the contour lines, like how steep it is. Mm-hmm. But in this case, it had kind of a narrow access and it was steep. So, yes, it did have access, but the access was kind of crappy. So it meant that it would be hard to sell this property. And ultimately, like as a buyer is looking at this property, they're going to say, this is not really a desirable property for this reason. No, I wouldn't. That was a great look. You're like, yeah. <laughs> seriously. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, and that's <laughs> that's funny because that would that would be a deal breaker for me. Maybe you'd be like, ah, it's fine. It's no big deal. I'd be like, I'm not driving on that road. I'm not driving mm-hmm. on the road when it's wet or snowing. Right. And I'm not letting my daughters, you know, mm-hmm. if I've got a, a kid that'll be learning to drive in a couple of years now. Right. So we just eliminated the one guy that really wanted it because his wife freaked out. <laughs> yes. But you know what I mean? So you have like, to look for a bachelor with a four by four that's willing to put in some effort. Right. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think that covers that. Um, let's get into topography. <laughs> you knew I was going to get hung up. <laughs> 
Do you want me to continue or you want me to bail you out? Yeah, here, I'm going to let you go on that okay. one. First, Top- I can- <laughs> topography. <laughs> and topography just basically means the shape of the land. Are we talking about a flat parcel? Are we talking about rolling topography? Are we talking about sloped? Mm-hmm. Are we talking about a any? Yeah, a cliff. <laughs> that actually is a topography that uh-huh. uh, that happens sometimes. Yeah. And then obviously any combination of the above. And if you have a larger property, maybe there's all kinds of different land features on there. But, and that's probably okay. Right. But we're thinking we want these to always be buildable. That We don't specialize in hunting. I mean, sometimes we end up with properties that are recreational in use. Right. Yeah. I mean, the thing, you know, if you're if you're thinking about topography, really, most people are looking for something that's either flat or rolling or gentle in some sort of way. Mm -hmm. I mean, the steeper you get or the more weird features like these cliffs that you're talking about or huge ravines, something Mm -hmm. like that. Those are less desirable. What about like land or water features? Water features? Yeah, they could be desirable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some people really like to have, you know, like a a creek on their property or a stream or something like that or a pond mm-hmm. you know sometimes that could be seen as a real positive so it just kind of depends on the buyer but most of the time that would be viewed as a positive obviously if you've got water frontage that's generally a, a higher end property than if you are you know just only you know away from the water or something like that unless if you're in one of these swamp. coastal type communities or uh, uh, unless it's a swamp yes <laughs> <laughs> yes and we see that sometimes mm-hmm. as well but yeah, so any type of property that's got some some regular type land features or something like that is generally more desirable than something that's got kind of extreme features. Mm-hmm. So really slow properties are hard to sell. You know, they might be very cheap to buy, but they're hard to sell. Which, We've tried numerous times. Right. We own a couple of steep properties now, steeper than I would like, and they just take longer to sell. And these are properties we bought in incredible prices. Okay, so I was talking about, you know, I said unless it was a swamp. So let's talk a little more about wetlands. Oh, wetlands. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, some areas, wetlands are a big deal. Other areas, wetlands aren't a big deal. If you do much in the southeast, you Mm -hmm. know, wetlands are a big deal. There's a lot of areas that have, you know, these properties that we looked at. One of the first things we check is, are there wetlands on the property? Because you might not be able to tell from the map, but then there's these overlays that you can put on these, um, you know, the software that we use. and, And it lights up as completely wetlands, meaning that there's really not much you can do with those properties. You can't build on wetlands. A lot of them are federally protected. Mm-hmm. So there's, and there's no way that you could just like fill in the land or something like that to make it not wetlands. So it's a big concern. So we look for buildable properties generally, and we do buy a lot of recreational properties sometimes, but they're worth less to uh, an end buyer than something like uh, that has no wetlands on it. So. Right. It would be even hard to do. I mean, I guess you could do some sort of boating through that. But yeah, even it then depends on the way. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? It's not yeah. like where you could do recreational properties. You could, you know, take your four wheeler out or something right. like. So. And, yeah. And there's different types of wetlands. There's the mm-hmm. swampy type stuff like bogs. There are um, water feature wetlands, which are, you know, not necessarily you know, th- that type of wetlands, it could be a pond, it mm-hmm. could be a stream, something like that. So those are, you know, a little bit different than something like that's a swampy type wetland, you know, like, a, like uh, some of these areas are like have big trees in them. And then they're kind of a swamp, you know, you picture some of these movies, you see, people, right. you know, going through the swamp, there could be a swamp monster or something in there. All I keep thinking is like, they, <laughs> is it, uh, is it alligators or crocodiles? I can't remember which one. Yeah. You know, all of them probably. Yeah, I don't, exactly. You know, that's uh, all I Gators. Keep- Gators of some sort, yeah. You know, I ever, as kind of a side tangent, do you ever Uh-oh. think about like some of these properties we buy? We're buying these large properties, you know, like 50, 100 acre properties. 
and they have a swamp on them or they have, you know, woodlands or something like that. Do you ever think about like how many animals are on those properties? No. And it, because my bigger, my biggest concern is that somebody uses it for hunting mm-hmm. and now I've like contributed to the demise of these animals oh, well. or in da- like not endangered, but like, I don't know. No, I, I, that would have me think too much. The other problem would be, I, I'd be like, Oh, we can't sell this one. We mm-hmm. can't sell it. Cause they, this one has a, you know, white tailed. It, it'd be interesting. Like you know? if someone were able to, to determine like an inventory of like, okay, they you know, do. There, they there, can are, do that. there are 30 deer that live in this property. Uh-huh. There are, you know, 553 squirrels are like, <laughs> no, I don't know, this they, is side they, they can totally do that though, really? because they do. Yeah. They do that where they're, they can estimate how many of each kind of thing they do some sort of, I'm like, not talking about an estimate. I'm talking about uh, an actual, Oh, good yeah. luck counting all the squirrels. <laughs> You know what I mean? Little Timmy that it doesn't leave his, um, what's that called? His little squirrel den. Uh-huh. Are you going to count him? You're going to like look into each of these. Yeah. And is it springtime? I no. know. I know. Right. But like, what exactly are you selling? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's actually an interesting question. And I mm-hmm. think that that there's going to be more need for land in conservation, in solar. Like, I think we're just on the cusp of that realizing that oxygen, like there's so many different things, endangered species, you know, I think that uh, you you brought up this tangent. So. Well, you know, the going back to the wetlands, mm-hmm. that is actually one purpose of wetlands that that I didn't mention is a lot of times there are developers that are looking for these wetlands that they can use to kind of offset. It's like a wetlands mitigation thing. Right. So they can they'll buy up these wetlands properties that you have so then they can offset Are you looking to scale your land flipping business quickly? Well, we're happy to present our new cutting edge system built specifically for land flippers. Take a look at the Land Conquest business system today and you'll gain full access to a customizable pre-made website, CRM, dedicated phone numbers, text automations, 24-7 support, and more. It's basically a business in the box. Go to software.landconquest.com to learn more. Another property that they've got that they want to build on the wetlands or something like that. So anyhow, there are there are opportunities like that for wetlands and some of these kind of sensitive habitats, I guess you could say. Right. And I mean, even around here in California, they do that for the different um, species that are maybe they're not endangered, but they're like the level right below. I can't remember what it's called or like mice or toads or frogs that are endangered or mm-hmm. threatened i'm sorry that's the the level under so they'll buy like i want to build on this piece of land it's completely buildable but i want to push the boundaries a little bit farther to do that i need to then buy this that we will then deed never to build on yeah it'd be a conservation easement yeah, yeah. exactly mm-hmm. so they're mitigating the damage that they're doing by creating more housing mm-hmm. so i think that like that is something that could happen that might even be the the best use for these um landlocked properties mm-hmm. but it's just not something you need to really know what you're doing you need to have an in with them you need to be listed as hey i have these properties that could be a niche you develop Absolutely. There's tons of great niches in this business and you Mm -hmm. become kind of really knowledgeable about what these end buyers are looking for. And then you find that stuff and you sell it to them. I mean, I think that's a great, yeah, that's a great match. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that tangent, Pete. Yes. Um, Okay. So where were we at here? Okay. Next is uh, minimal FEMA flood zone. Now FEMA flood zone, that just means when it rains a lot, Mm -hmm. some of these areas become completely flooded. So the FEMA, uh, Federal Emergency Management Authority, I think that's what Impressive. it stands for. Impressive. They come up with all these maps and they designate which areas are in these flood zones. Mm-hmm. And this is kind of, they historically track what happens in all these different areas. So when we're looking at a property on land ID, which is the 
the mapping software that we use. We can select an overlay on there and then it'll show if it's in any of these FEMA flood zones. Now, what happens is that when it's in a FEMA flood zone, you generally can build in those areas. It's just more difficult and it depends how, how extreme the flood zone is in that particular area. And there's different levels of the FEMA flood zone, but it's, it's generally best to be out, have properties that are out of the FEMA flood zone. But in some areas, you'll notice like the whole area is in a FEMA flood zone and houses are built there and things like that. But you just have to take extra steps in order to build, which generally means more expensive. You know, like if you see a lot of those coastal type properties that are built on stilts, that's an example of those are in FEMA flood zone areas. And the requirement to build in those areas is if you've got to raise the foundation of the home above that high water level. Mm -hmm. So... And, and then, they, you're, yeah, like any buyer would pay more in homeowners insurance because if they, they can get it, if they can get it. Mm -hmm. Yep. So there's a lot of a lot more complications. So it's always better not to have FEMA flood zone. Now, do we buy some properties sometimes that have some FEMA flood zone on that? Yes, we do. Uh, generally, try not to have the whole property encompassed in the FEMA flood zone. But again, this is one of those things that it makes a property harder to sell if you have a lot of that on your property. Uh, it's not impossible to resell, but you have to adjust the price accordingly. And it takes that one step uh, further away from being that perfect property that you're you're striving for. Right. It's just about knowing the local community. What's, you know, what's the norm there? Mm -hmm. And then how you determine that is you basically just look at the map. You know, mm -hmm. are there other houses built in that FEMA flood zone? I mean, you can clearly see. And if they're, all the neighbors are built in that FEMA flood zone, just like the lot that you're going to buy, and it's not as big of a deal. It's just customary for that area. Right. And buyers would know that for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Or they get a, a rude shock when they like, wait, what? Yeah. So like <laughs> it's, uh, to use an example, you know, here in Southern California, you know, houses right along the beach here mm -hmm. are like super, super desirable, but mm -hmm. they're all in the FEMA flood zone because if it rains a lot, you know, you get higher tides, it's, you know, you know, the bottom floor might have a little bit of water there. Yeah, or you get the king tides with a high tide or with the high waves, mm -hmm. and the waves are crashing and breaking mm -hmm. your glass. Yeah, so, so yeah, or tsunamis like that's that could be another thing. Does it show the tsunami? Uh, I'm sure there there probably are some overlays for that, but I uh, I haven't seen it. Not the properties that we're buying. Right so. here, I know that that's like kind of a, a big deal. The elevation helps, but but then again, like you're saying, those are still those people are are buying with that knowledge because the benefit outweighs the risk. Right. And it's customary for the area. Every right. home along there is going to have that same thing. So mm -hmm. you take the good with the bad. So. Right. And that's why a lot of people also do mitigations to their houses. Like mm -hmm. you're talking about the stilts mm -hmm. or out of concrete or, you know, they'll, they'll have barriers that come up or down or whatever mm -hmm. to do that. Yeah. Okay. Let's go to location. Now location maybe should have been one of the first items that we, we uh, mentioned here, but location is super important in real estate. And uh, the thing is, with these rural properties, obviously, many of them would not be considered premium A-plus locations because they're rural properties kind of in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they may be, you know, an hour or two outside of a major city. But the thing to consider is that some areas are hotter than others, you know, as far as the activity, the desirability of those areas, maybe the school districts, a lot of the type of factors go in there. So you want to really evaluate the location and maybe even the location as far as like how far down the dirt road is it? You know, is it um, two miles down the dirt road? That's kind of a pain in the butt, mm -hmm. you know? Is it right on the road frontage uh, and, you know, m maybe, you know, two minutes from the interstate, that would be right. a better location. Right. So I can't stress this enough. Like, hmm. you know that old saying, like, buy the worst house in the best 
neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Like it's better than buying the best house in the worst neighborhood. Oh yes, definitely. You know, and the location is so important in every aspect that you're saying, like get ease of getting to it. The community itself is there. Are there jobs? Who's moving there? Why are they moving there? Is it a fad thing? Are they, you know, like who's bringing the money to the area? Right. Who's not bringing the money to the area? Local politics could even play into it. I think that if you were going to start with anything, it's the location and the access. Actually, mm. the access, because it doesn't matter about the location if you, it's landlocked. Right. Yeah. So access, location are super mm. important. So the, the other thing to consider, though, is don't go overboard in this location. Obviously, many of these properties are not going to be premium locations right. because they're kind of in these rural areas. So it's not going to be like a A plus number one location like on the beach here in Southern California, you know, or for you know, in the middle yeah. of New York City. Uh, so those would be like super valuable pieces of land. But you just have to have to kind of balance that like for this area, for this type of buyer that that would be attracted to this. Is this is this some uh, good location for them? You know, a good example of that would be um, let's say you have a, a this town is it's a Typical town, right? You've identified that the properties move quickly and you have the option of buying two different properties. One is, you know, they're both completely equal, but one of them is two minutes from a train track, mm -hmm. you know, or I'm eyesight of a train track, whereas mm -hmm. the other one is on the other side and you can't see the train or hear the train. That's a location issue. It's right, right by a train track. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're going to be looking for the A plus areas necessarily as much as the location of the property in this area that you've already determined you want to buy in. Yeah. You also be um, pleasantly encouraged that the fact that in any of these areas that you're buying in, there's people looking for properties mm -hmm. in this area. So maybe an area they grew up in, may, right. maybe it doesn't make sense to you why they would want to buy property in this area, but there are people looking for properties in those areas. They're looking for good properties and, and that are priced right. Right. So. And a couple hours out of a metro area is close. Mm -hmm. You know, like they can get into town for the into town, mm -hmm. you know, for the big medical appointments. The big city? The big city, right. But you know what I mean? Like, and some people will even commute that every day or, uh -huh. or a lot of people aren't going to work every single day now. Right. So maybe they're once a week. That's not a big deal. They've mm -hmm. moved, so they're close enough. They can still see their friends, but they've got more land. The, these are people looking for more land. Right. And if you don't like land, it's not going to, you know, it, it's not going to pique your interest and that's okay. All right. So let's get on to the surrounding neighborhood. So the surrounding neighborhood uh, is is really important as well, and it, you know it kind of ties into the location thing. But you're one not of the allowed things, to touch these. Gosh, oh, I'm not allowed to touch my own papers. Nope. Okay, <laughs> there you go. Uh, but one of the things that I really wanted to stress with this kind of line item is that the neighbors can have a big impact on your property, even though it's not on your property at all. We've had plenty of circumstances where we're looking at a property; it looks great, but there's a junkyard on one side of it. Or there's this neighbor on one side of this got like 50 cars in their in their yard. I mean, you would like to think, oh, that that's their property. That doesn't affect this property. But believe me, it affects, any potential yeah. buyer is going to come and look at, at this property and they're going to say, you know what? I mean, it looks like a cool property, but I don't want to look at this. I don't want, I want this because it impacts your property. Maybe there's rats that live in all those cars and then they're going to come and waltzing over to your property and hang out too. Right. The thing so. is junk attracts junk too. So like yeah. if they're using it as a junkyard, I guarantee you someone's going to dump junk on your property. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, a. It's but, just, oh, this is the local dump. Yeah. So really be aware of that. We've had properties that have had kind of situations like that and they never sell quickly. Mm -mm. There's always, you know, unless you're pricing something super, super cheap, but it's always an issue. So you really got to pay attention. Even to if you price it cheap, someone's probably going to still say, I want even cheaper mm -hmm. because of this. It's right. just an easy, you know, 
Yeah, and then uh, another thing about that is crime. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you're in a particular area that's kind of known for having some bad crime, you're going to have a problem moving that property. So even in these rural areas, some areas are kind of known for being like a hotbed of like, you know, vandalism and, and things like that. So you want to you want to be aware of that. And there's ways to pull up crime statistics mm -hmm. online. And that also helps having the local broker or agent helping you out as well that really knows those areas because they might be able to point out to you and say hey that's not such a be the best area there right they're like i'm not going during looks this. great on the map but right. yeah have you ever done that where you're like driving for dollars on google maps by the way google maps is just amazing i wish that mm -hmm. we'd had google maps back you know when we were doing reos and bpos and everything can you imagine no it'd be so easy yeah oh my god it would have been coolest thing ever but if you're doing that like i was going down this one road i was like but these houses are really really nice like they're really pretty it must have been somewhere in like north carolina i don't really remember that or virginia or something like that and i'm driving you know driving down the road and then all of a sudden you get and it's like wait a minute what it's the same road mm -hmm. you know but a couple miles down and it was not the same pretty houses it was right. like really not good so even if you're looking at it and you're like oh gosh these you know if you need to look at the whole entire length of the street even here there's roads that have the same name that go for miles and miles and miles and miles mm -hmm. and through different towns and all that kind of stuff. So do your driving for dollars and talk to an agent that knows the area. Mm -hmm. They'll tell you, you can't tell too. And also my idea of, okay, might not be someone else's, idea, you know what I mean? Or, right. or the other way around, I might be like, this is a sketchy area. And they're like, no, this is actually a, a nice area. Yeah. So just keep in mind these, these outside factors can affect your property. You know, other things like disruptive businesses are, are one thing, you know, right. Like if you're next to a crematorium, that's not such a positive thing. If you're next to a cemetery, a large cemetery, that's not generally viewed as a positive I thing. I noticed you wrote down smell, sound, and reputation. Oh, yes. The smell, though, like back in the 80s when I did, I was in gymnastic lessons and there was this horrible smell when we were coming out every night. And my mom, I can't remember what she told me. Do you remember? I Yes, you, I remember you telling me the story. But did she? Did I tell you what she said the smell was? I can't remember. Uh, no, I don't she remember. She would say it was some some weird thing. And then finally, I was old enough to like really pay attention. It was a crematorium. I was smelling the bodies being cremated. Mm, so I gross, can't imagine yeah. living near that. Yeah, so that would be a bad one. <laughs> Landfill, obviously, mm -hmm. that would be smell. And it'd be a lot of disruption. Auto body shops are right. really messy I've and loud. You know, all kinds of toxic stuff. And then also you've got stuff like uh, a mushroom farm. That was a big deal, <laughs> those yeah. Are, those are really, really well, smell bad. That makes the whole area smell horrible. Yeah, if the wind is blowing a certain direction, it's because they're fertilizing with... Yeah, I you know. know yeah, and, and then and then obviously we've talked about this a lot, hog lagoons. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was such a big deal until we started getting In into certain wind. areas, it is a big deal. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like, wow. And then you've got stuff like major roadways or freeways. If you're if this property is right along a major freeway, you know, maybe it's great for billboards. But as far as building a home site, like if it's a residential zone property and you're supposed to build a home there, it's going to be less desirable. And we didn't talk about it on this one, but um, the electrical wires. Oh, yes. Yes. Electrical wires. Yeah. If you got these huge transmission lines, that's that's definitely a negative, And that's that would be a concerning neighbor to have this as your <laughs> right and you know? then there's somewhere there it's in, if there's industrial even if it's right not right there yep or what are they burning like mm -hmm. i know that's an issue um down here like they're doing hazardous chemicals the wind yeah, turns it's dumping stuff you know like they used to do that hopefully they're mm -hmm. not doing these types of things dumping stuff into the stream and then it's washing down to you and you know terrible stuff and your kids have 10 heads yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know the point of talking about all this is obviously you have to take the neighborhood and the neighbors and all that into consideration when right. you're trying to determine if it's a quality of property or not. So yep. 
Obviously, there's a lot of variables that can come into play with any sort of property, but you just look, kind of look at all these major categories and try to evaluate them. Maybe you come up with a scoring system or something like that, but I, I just kind of generally do it on feel. Okay, it's got great access. It's a great location. Topography is really good. Uh, there's a little bit of wetlands and a little bit of FEMA flood zone. Neighborhood seems cool. I would say this is a quality property, you know? Right. And so, And then one other thing that I would like to mention when, when trying to determine if it's a quality property or not, this is why we always get photographers to go out and inspect our properties, is put yourself in the buyer's shoes. Are you going to walk onto this property and say, hey, this is a, this is a nice it's property. It's really cool, yeah. I'd like to buy it. You know, I've, I remember a number of them we bought that had really cool trees on them, had just beautiful, you this know, properties. This is when I was worried. I was like, Pete, do not fall in love with this. Well, these, and I'm just uh -huh. seeing the pictures, you know, a lot right. of times. But, but you're like, oh, the birds, the trees. In, in the instant I got the pictures back and I'm like, oh, this is a nice property. Mm -hmm. You know, that like, like you can there. just tell it's right. a nice property. And those properties sell fast. They really do. Every time. Do you have a great deal under contract? We'll submit it to partnerwithpete.com. The Partner With Pete program is a deal funding program where we will actually use our funds to complete the purchase of the property. We will do every other step of the process, including the due diligence, the transaction side, the marketing side, and the transaction on the resale side. And when all the dust settles, we will split the profits 50-50. There is no downside for you as an investor, only upside. So once again, go to partnerwithpete.com, submit your deal there, and let's get it funded. Now, what about the properties you get pictures back and it would have like big drums of unknown substances? Yeah, those are the ones that we cancel. Yeah, I don't want to open up those drums. I don't yeah. want to know what's in those. Yeah, have you ever seen the CSI episodes where the right? like, bodies found uh -huh. in, in those? You know, yeah, or it's know. like leaking toxic chemicals into the ground and then you have to dig up like, you know, tons and tons of... It's got this big Dirt. radioactive symbol yeah. on it. No, I don't want. No, I don't want to buy you. any of those properties. Right. Okay. So, I have questions from the group. Oh yes. Now these are questions from our land conquest land flipping community. Where do they find that? Just go to landconquest.com. Click on any of the orange buttons, and you can join the community. We've got really a hopping community over there now. We've got uh, a lot of members. We've got people that are. Brand new investors. We also have a number of experienced land investors in there doing kind of over a million dollars a year. I know personally uh, that they're doing that type of business. So, and everyone's has been really cool sharing lots of stuff without any worrying about any sort of you know people you know stealing their business or anything like that. There's a, there's plenty of business to go around in the land flipping uh, arena. So there's you, always room at the top. There's always room. And even, even not at the top, there's lots of room for people to carve out their little niche within the business. <laughs> even so, not at the top. Wow. Yes. That was inspirational. Yes. No, but yes, there's room for everybody. There is room for everybody. It's this crazy thing called lots of land all over the country. Yeah. And there's a lot. There's mm -hmm. a lot. You ever flew across the country or driven across the country, you'll realize how much land there is here. Right. <laughs> Craziness. I know. And as we get more densely populated, it'll be filling in. So, okay, mm -hmm. let's get started with job um, says it's his subject is private money. Does anyone have any suggestions on where to connect with individual private lenders to raise money for land deal funding? Take it away, Pete. Okay. Well, first of all, we are going to be launching a land funding program ourselves, basically where we will put up the money. You bring the deal. We put up the money to actually purchase the property. We'll also do all the due diligence of the property as well. So as soon as you bring us a deal and you say, okay, here's, here's the property. I've got it under contract. Would you be interested in funding it? We would look at it and say, okay, this is a property. You know, the numbers make sense. Everything looks good. Okay, we'll do it. 
then at that point, I'll hand it over to my team. We'll do all the due diligence on the property, meaning we'll hire the photographer, we'll open it up with the closing company, we'll talk to brokers and get their opinions and you know things like that. So we'll put it into our whole process and then we'll close it. And then we'll also then handle all the marketing side of things and, and get it under contract and resold. And then at the end of the day, we'll split the profits 50-50. Nice. Simple. Very good. Simple. So yes, uh, we have got that coming. It's not officially launched yet, but if you do have something in the meantime that you want to partner on, just email me, reese at turningprofit.com. But I think maybe Job's um, question was about maybe finding private lenders to kind of fund those deals for him, maybe maybe just as an interest rate or something like that. Those type of opportunities, I think, will start presenting themselves for you if once you get a track record in the business, unless you have some family and friends that, that really trust what you're doing, really trust you and, and everything like that, then you might be able to get those type of relationships going. But typically, private lenders will want to have some sort of, they'll want to see some sort of track record that you know what you're doing. And then, you know, then those opportunities will start coming your way. Very so good. It's going to be hard to just post things online and say, hey, we're looking for this or that you know, without any sort of track record. Okay. Uh, Ronnie asks, sites to post land for sale. What are some websites that you guys are using to post land deals for sale? Yeah, so we use brokers and agents to sell all of our properties. But we typically will also list those properties. Now, when we're working with these agents and brokers, they always list the properties on the MLS. Mm -hmm. They generally have their own website. They have their email list. They have other things that they do to market these properties. And those go to Realtor.com too. Yeah, Realtor.com, Zillow, Zillow yeah. and Redfin, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But they also, a lot of these land brokers will subscribe to Land.com, Landwatch, and uh, there's a couple of other sites that are associated with that that are owned by the same company. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of a place where a lot of people search for, for land. So they'll generally put them on those sites. But then there's kind of some additional things that you can do. Now, some of these agents will already have this in part of their process, but, but sometimes you can also do these things kind of additional. A big one is Facebook Marketplace, especially for cheaper properties. Those seem to do pretty well on Facebook Marketplace. Or you unique, can, maybe something that stands out. Yeah, exactly, yeah, or unique, yeah. So a lot of times, Facebook Marketplace, you can also join the local buy-sell groups or local land groups or something like that. And uh, then you can post your fa Facebook Marketplace listing to those groups as well to get some additional exposure. You can also do Craigslist. Craigslist in some areas is still pretty active. Some areas, there's absolutely nothing going on there. Except for sketchy stuff. Except for sketchy stuff. And then the other thing you can do too is more of a specific and targeted way. You can send out what they call neighbor letters. So as soon as you purchase a property, you can pull a list of the neighboring homes. You can do something like that on PropStream. You can pull a list of the neighboring 50 neighboring properties and you have a kind of form templated letter that you send out. Normally we'll include like a little satellite image of the property so they can see exactly what it is and saying, hey, you know, we're going to be selling this property. And this you're one of the neighbors and wanted to reach out to you first to see if you had any interest in it. If you if you do, you know, give me a call type thing. We should just do so, it. It just says, do you want to buy this? Yeah. Do you want to buy this or not? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Circle yes or no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. Um, so, so those work really well sometimes too. But so those are some additional ways to market aside from the agents and brokers. But 
Some agents and burgers do those types of things also. But ask. That's why you mm-hmm. need to ask like, what kind of marketing do you do? Mm-hmm. Not that you're going to like use it against them, but just so you can supplement it too. Yeah. And the other thing too is if you are going to do additional marketing, I would just make sure you're on the same page and just say, hey, I'm planning on putting this on Facebook Marketplace. Any of the good leads that come in are going to send them your way anyhow. But you and, know, a, that, and a good agent would be thankful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they might put it on their own Facebook Marketplace account, but it's getting more exposure for the property. Exactly. Okay. Next question is from Christopher. Yeah, from Christopher. Ex-wife quick claim. What steps should I take in a situation where the seller of the land is a divorced husband and the land title lists both the husband and his ex-wife as owners, but the ex-wife has already signed a quick claim? Okay. These type of questions, when it comes to title, chain of title, they're kind of state specific questions in a way. You know, some states you can get away with doing certain things. Some states you can't get away with doing certain things. So I basically, instead of learning all these different rules for all these different states, basically we always open up these. We always do these transactions through a closing company and, and we're not an legal. escrow title attorney. Yes, and we're not legal professionals, so anything Pete says doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. So basically, <laughs> I let them sort it right. all out. You know, I, I get the property under contract, mm-hmm. send it over to them. They're going to do a title search. If there's a problem with the chain of title, with the quick claim deed or something like that, then they may say, okay, well, we got to fix this one thing from the, you know, the ex-wife needs to actually do a, a, you know, different type of deed. And then at that point, they'll try to sort things out to fix it. So, but they might be fine with something like that. I don't know. Right. It might, so. I mean, cause that's normally how it's done, but right. a lot of them. And the other thing too, is we get title insurance so right. that it just protects all the different parties and then it makes it more marketable. Right. So always uh, go through a professional closing company like that. They'll sort out all those title issues because the last thing you want is to buy a property that's got some sort of title issue because then you're not going to be able to resell it. Right. I mean, uh, yeah. Or if you do, it's going to be someone else taking on a liability. They're going to give you pennies on the dollar. Right. Exactly. Uh, And then also research because in California, you use an escrow and title company. In a lot of other states, it's table like a, a lawyer does it and, mm-hmm. yeah an attorney and mm-hmm. sometimes it's title companies only things like that so uh yeah each state has their own procedures so figure that out but yeah go to a professional for that don't try to do that it just doesn't make no, sense no. spend your time finding more deals that's the best use of your time exactly okay alex says newbie question after the seller and i agree on price how long of a due diligence period do you guys use on your deals it's a good question mm, okay so typically we try to close our transactions in 30 days Sometimes it doesn't quite work that way. Sometimes it takes longer. And typically the thing that we're waiting on is the title, the title search. Sometimes a lot of these title companies are super backed up and it just takes time. So what we do is as soon as we get a property under contract, it kind of goes, it kind of splits in a way with our due diligence. We send that, we open the contract with the the title company and the, the, the closing company. So they, you know, get working on their side of things. Then we work on all the property specific due diligence stuff. You know, like we're doing a a checklist of stuff. We're calling the city, the county, all these different things. We're hiring a photographer to go out there. We're getting the broker opinion. We're doing that side of things. So they kind of, they start apart and then they come together at the end. You know, eventually the title report will come back. And so you can evaluate that and see what that looks like. And then all your due diligence is going to be coming in. You'll be reviewing that as that comes in. And then hopefully it will all coincide so you can get that property closed within 30 days. Right. And so there's three different parts. There's the closing attorney. There's the title company that's researching it. Normally the attorney will hire the title company. Yeah. So I kind of consider that all in one process. And then there's the third part of that is a title company um, issuing a policy. So yeah. they can do the research without issuing a policy. Yeah. Well, they'll they'll send you a report and say, hey, you know, this is what the situation is. Mm-hmm. You can look through it and say, 
you know, this, this is not something I, I'm comfortable with, you know, maybe it comes up in the search that it used to be a landfill or something right. like that. So you have to review all that paperwork when that comes in, or they might say, okay, we've got a chain of title problem. You know, there's 50 different heirs on this property. You know, you're not going to be able to buy right. it. Or you know? there, we can't identify where it even is. Mm-hmm. Like the yeah. lot line's all messed up. So we need it, you know, rectified. So anyways, that's a good place to stop. I think we covered a lot of stuff there. Okay. Anything you needed to add? Well, just the fact that um, a couple other things, you know, if you are interested in learning a little bit more about the land flipping business, go check out turningprofit.com. We've got a monthly income report on there. been doing it for these income reports now for about a year and a half. And these income reports are very exhaustive, you know, like each month I detail our revenue, exhaustive our profit, or exhaustive, exhausting for me to, I was gonna say, to that was produce. Very, they're very, um, what's the word? Like there's a lot to them. Comprehensive. Comprehensive. That's a better word. Right. So what we, and then each of the deals that we did that month, what we bought it for, what we sold it for, what we, you know, how many days we held it for each, you know, positives and negatives of each of those deals. So try to be as transparent as possible so you can kind of know what you might be getting into if you are interested in the land flipping business. And then obviously our land flipping community, go to landconquest.com and then uh, check that out. And I think uh, be a part of the community. I've been doing weekly Zoom calls in there as well. Mm -hmm. And those are kind of cool. It takes me about two hours to do these, but basically everyone will send me their deals, you know, that they're working on and I'll review them live on Zoom. Like and I'll our, share my screen and I'll go through the whole evaluation process that I go through. So you kind of learn how to evaluate properties yourself. Yeah. And our oldest daughter actually moderates that with you. Yeah. She's my co-host. Yeah. Maddie does that. So yeah. I think that's great too. She's um, early twenties. So it's kind of a, a different mm-hmm. old and young. I was going to say that, but just okay. uh, a different, a different take on it. Like okay. a life experience take. Yes. Um, I think those are super, super valuable. If you, um, and do you do a replay too on those? Like oh yeah. Yeah. Me- and I record them, you know, and I post them in the community as well. So you can go check it. Like that's a wealth of, of information. If you're learning how to, if you want to learn how to evaluate land, just watch those Zoom calls. I think when I get into something new, I want to go all in. Mm-hmm. Like I want like every single piece of it. So I think that's those are things that you can kind of just listen to in the yeah, background. Yeah, there's probably about 20 hours of those that are recorded. So join the community. You can see all those now. And um, if people want to follow you on social media, where they can yeah, find you? Yeah, uh, best way would be to go to Reese, Reese Peter on Instagram or on YouTube, you know, at Turning Profit. If you just put that in, you'll, you'll see us there. Sounds good. So. Okay, well, we will see you guys next week. For yeah. another exciting episode of the Turning Profit Podcast. See All right, you later. Thanks. Bye. Ready to start turning profit yourself? Head to turningprofit.com to step up your real estate investing game. See you on the next episode.